welcome to today's episode on blockchain and financial inclusion. I am Arun Krishna Kumar from Rhetoric in London, and I have Effie with me. Hello, I'm Effie Pilarino, fintech and blockchain advisor out of Switzerland. Today we have Lisa Nestor, director of partnerships at Stella Development Foundation. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Lisa, can you give us a little bit of an overview of your uh, work at Stellar? What do you do? Sure. My role at the the Stellar Development Foundation is to um, think strategically about the growth and programmatic support we have for the community of businesses um, that are developing and deploying on Stellar. Um, that's a pretty diverse audience. So you know, anywhere from multinational payments processors to technical service providers um, like IBM, for example, um, as well as, you know, rural banks and, um, you know, mobile wallets that are popping up all over the world. Um, and, you know, of course, startups that are, are looking to launch and deploy their first product um, utilizing the Stellar protocol. So, um, at Stellar, we have a really rich and diverse ecosystem of companies that utilize the network. And so it's important that we think about how we continue to scale our efforts to port them. And a large part of that is also enabling network and discovery between those many users. So I think a lot about how um, we kind of scale the engagement um, and visibility of the different users of Stellar across the world to each other because Stellar is fundamentally financial infrastructure and finance typically is at a minimum a two-player game. First of all, do I understand correctly that under the Stellar Development Foundation, we have the Stellar Protocol layer and uh, all the community that you, you described at high level and they're building and apps that are incubated by the foundation. Is that correct? At its core, Stellar is an open source software project. So what the foundation has been doing from day one is um, writing code and developing the software that is used to um, host and support the um, Stellar network. Um, so really the, the kind of first layer of if you think of this um, maybe as a, a three-layer cake, the open source software and um, Stellar.org as um, a nonprofit foundation um, is committed to continuing to commit um, or, uh, you know, write additional software so that the network um, scales um, bigger and faster. Um, and we want that software to be freely available to anyone in the world who wants to um, access and use Stellar. Um, above that, we start getting really into the core of um, what we'll call the distributed ledger. So the Stellar network uh, as a blockchain or distributed ledger, um, a network that is hosted by what we call nodes or network validators all over the world. And so, you know, there's, um, I would say somewhere between one and 200 validators on the Stellar network today. The Stellar Development Foundation hosts three of these validators. The rest are hosted by, um, you know, institutions, uh, whether those are, um, you know, for-profit companies or universities um, that want to support um, and commit uh, transactions to um, the, the Stellar ledger. These nodes are really the functional um, piece of the network that is um, submitting and validating transactions. And that's a really important and feature when you're thinking about this technology, particularly for um, financial institutions that, you know, very much in the blockchain space. It's really important to understand that the Stellar network um, is not 
centralized. It's not hosted by the Seller Development Foundation. It's much more like a public utility or public infrastructure that is hosted and um, utilized by organizations all over the world. And those organizations kind of in combination are what create the the Seller Network. Um, So you have the open source code, then you have the ledger, again, that's hosted by um, these nodes or validators all over the world. And then on top of that, you have um, this, I would say, kind of user and application ecosystem, right? So um, because of the code and because of the validators, there is now this, um, you know, stellar network that, you know, I as an entrepreneur who wants to create a new mobile wallet for, you know, my customers in Mozambique, I can now um, utilize Stellar's RESTful API, Horizon, set up an account, um, you know, potentially link into the, the global kind of marketplace available inside of Stellar and uh, deploy a new payment app or mobile banking app that allows me to provide low cost, um, high quality financial services to my customers and potentially do things like enable cross-border payments for them by connecting with other users, um, other financial institutions that are also connected to the Stellar ledger. And so uh, and those application um providers, those different companies that are building on top of Stellar don't have to write open source code. They can just use it. They don't have to be a validator on the network. Um, They can decide to do that or not. And there's some kind of um, advantages to why you would do that, but also reasons why you may not. Um, They can kind of just sit on top of those other two layers and and use that to then build um, their their own products and solutions. Uh, you know how we support these different organizations at the foundation. You know primarily it's really at that base layer, which is continuing to write the code and improve the network so that it has again scalability, reliability, speed, low cost. Um, but then you know also of course doing a lot of I would say engagement and development across the the network validator validators. It's very um, important that the foundation is able to kind of communicate and also um, listen to different institutions that are hosting validators and improve um, that infrastructure. Um, and then, you know, we do things like host a net, host events, um, companies that are building on Stellar to, to be able to uh, talk about the services they provide. Um, and uh, the foundation also oversees Lumen distribution. Um, so as a, as a nonprofit, um, the Seller Development Foundation distributes the bulk of its native cryptocurrency, Lumen, um, for free. And we do that to both expand the network um, and in order to uh, accomplish kind of greater financial inclusion, as well as to continue to invest in the network and support companies that um, are working there. Um, and so in a sense, you know, we kind of incubate companies in that method, but we don't do kind of traditional investment. Um, you know, we provide grants um, that uh, vest over multiple years. So we don't do a ton of like seed investment or, you know, oh, you want to work on Stellar, you know, here's some money to get started. But we will say, if you're deploying on Stellar, um, we want to work with you as a partner over a couple of years. And as you scale your activities, then we want um, to provide you um, kind of funding and incentives, um, you know, to as well reciprocate for the contribution and value you're adding to the network. Thank you very much for that, Lisa. Uh, so I hear uh, there's been a recent announcement uh, with IBM Worldwide Payment System. Um, and how's the mood at Stellar headquarters regarding that? Um, it's great. So IBM has been a partner with ours um, or collaborator with the foundation for 
quite some time now. Um, I would say since early 2017. Um, and, you know, we are obviously thrilled to see that project continue to scale. Um, you know, IBM will, again, be they themselves are validators on the network, um, but they're also very much kind of plugging into that third layer, building this uh, worldwide um, payments transfer application, right? And what's exciting about IBM for the foundation is that it has huge scale and reach, um, and it's very well connected to um, what I would call the kind of tier one um, financial institutions, as well as central banks. And so, as I mentioned, Seller has a really diverse ecosystem of users. Um, and, you know, it's important that we're able to um, speak to and provide um, technology to a lot of different types of audiences. And we think that we'll be able to achieve that not by doing it ourselves, but having collaborators who take the product to market um, to users and audiences that, that they know really well and that they can service well. And IBM certainly um, already has a ton of existing, bit, sorry, a ton of existing business with banks um, and uh, knows how to uh, make those kind of sales, um, which is not easy when you're doing infrastructure level. Um, so I think that's really great. It's pri- provided a lot of validation as well for the technology and what we're doing. Um, and so, yeah, continue to be excited to see them uh, build out that solution and scale it. Lisa, can you tell us more about your foundation outreach in emerging markets? Can you give a high-level picture and maybe some specific use cases? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, it will actually be helpful for me to um, get a little bit of context about Stellar's past and history and kind of how as well um, we've evolved. But, you know, at its core, um, the Stellar Development Foundation was founded in 2014. Um, to, you know, build and develop blockchain technology, but also um, with a mission of providing support for greater financial inclusion. Um, So we really see this as a technology that can um, provide an ability for emerging markets to leapfrog, um, in particular with their um, financial infrastructure, whether that's national payment networks um, or uh, just being able to more easily um, transact in the global economy. And so we're very committed to making sure that this technology reaches is um, the last mile, you know, users all over. This isn't a kind of U.S.-Western um, Western, uh, kind of based focused product. We really see it as something global and, and providing particular value for emerging markets. When Stellar started in 2014, it was focused on um, really going direct to those markets, in some sense going direct to the consumer um, or that very last mile user. So a lot of our early work um, was focused in places like Africa. Um, and, you know, we said, what we can create a payment network for microfinance banks across Nigeria, for example, and allow those microfinance banks to be able to transact with each other, provide, you know, best in class um, payment services for their users, um, allow them to receive international payments, etc. And so we really um, went straight, you know, boots on the ground um, and started working with partners and these institutions directly um, to connect them to Stellar. And, you know, we had some lessons that we learned throughout that process. And I think, you know, for your audience, that uh, works in financial inclusion um, and in a 
emerging markets, this is probably no surprise, but um, just because the technology is there doesn't mean um, the market is ready to kind of absorb it. Um, and, you know, after we realized also the importance um, of having key mainstream financial institution players also sitting at the table as we then um, bring on, I would say, more excluded or underserved, um, you know, financial institutions, meaning um, the impact or value that we create by connecting, for example, uh, rural microfinance bank banks in Nigeria um, is only so much if a uh, national bank is not also on that network. Um, financial inclusion means connecting the entire financial ecosystem, not just providing services for those that are underserved right now. And that was a, a really big lesson for us. Um, and so we kind of realized that in order to really make that last consumer um, receive the full value and potential of the Stellar Network, um, it was important we brought in uh, larger financial institutions as well as those last mile consumers. So we're still really focused on emerging markets. In fact, a ton of our growth is in markets like Africa um, and Asia um, and hopefully increasingly Latin America. Um, and I, I can kind of talk about what the, the adoption and use cases look like in those markets. Um, but I guess I just think that the story is important because a lot of people in development, you know, maybe this is very obvious that, you know, you kind of just can't go in and change things overnight, that it's, you know, important that you bring regulators. It's important that you bring those gatekeepers on board and kind of shift the dynamics of, of how things move instead of trying to work in um, isolation. And, and we're happy that we've had some successes, you know, and continue to um, see both, I would say, the last mile financial service providers, as well as the kind of, um, you know, uh, mainstream providers adopting Stellar and seeing opportunities to collaborate. We have Ethereum, we have Stellar. I know quite a lot of firms that originally started work with Ethereum. And when they saw quite a lot of micropayments uh, use cases involved in what they're doing, they moved from Ethereum to Stellar, but they still have smart contracts running on Ethereum. I'm just curious to understand what your roadmap is on smart contracts or if, if it's even part of the story. Sure, absolutely. Yes, great question. So um, we have what we call simple contracts functionality right now on Stellar. And so, um, you know, I, I guess first, we always like to say with technology, it's about using the right tool for the right job. Um, and so for anyone that's planning on doing some type of tokenization or blockchain based project, um, highly encourage that they do, you know, they do their own homework. Um, and, you know, don't just kind of do, you know, follow the crowd, but really try to understand um, what they need in order to execute their project from a um, you know design standpoint and opt into the platform that can provide the best solution. So when you look at Stellar and Ethereum, um, so Ethereum is you know uh, decentralized you know programming interface. So it's Turing complete. Um, it allows for people to write their own code and contracts to execute some you know pretty complex um, kind of autonomous contracts. Um, um, and applications on top of the Ethereum platform, which is great. So um, if you need to do something with a high level of complexity, you certainly want to use Ethereum. Um, Stellar is a lightning fast um, and low cost um, asset issuance and exchange platform. So a first order function of the Stellar ledger is the ability to issue an asset and then trade it. 
right? So, um, and you don't need a special contract to do that. That is just the fundamental number one feature that you can do um, in Stellar. On top of that, we have um, a set of about 12 operations that are part of our simple contract um, suite of features, allow you to do a lot of things around an asset that you've issued um, that you would want to do. So you can create escrow accounts, you can do multi-signature accounts, you can have um, batching. So a series of operations needs to occur in totality um, before a transaction is fully executed. Um, you can design a lot of the kind of payout or um, kind of financial contract frameworks that people typically want to do. Um, and what's great is that you don't have to write any new code to do this. You're just using a set of pre-built codes and operations that are vetted. So the security risk um, of deploying these uh, contracts is, is really, really low, which is great. So um, if you just search uh, smart contracts or simple contracts in Stellar, you, you know, we've got information on our site about this. We're continuing to build out features and capabilities. Um, you know, that's very much on our roadmap, something um, we have SEPs. Um, that's kind of the terminology we use in our open source community. And these are just different kind of protocol level enhancements. Um, and a lot of these have been geared towards um, kind of asset contracts, token control features that people want to see um, because we've just seen such a huge explosion of those use cases. But um, yes, yeah, so you can't write any contract your heart desires with Stellar, um, but you can absolutely execute um, smart contracts with the network. I would say, you know, 85% to 90% of the things that you're going to want to do as a basic kind of contract, um, you can do with Stellar. Um, and uh, so people should, should definitely check that out. Uh, so, Lisa, uh, I see that you've done some work along with uh, ICICA Bank in India. Are they a validator on your platform? The other question I had was, um, I, I also see that you've done some work out of Chennai with microfinance on the field. So it'd be nice to, if you can give us a flavor of your work around um, the Indian market. Sure. So we're pretty bullish on India um, as a country to um, to really reap the benefits of a blockchain technology like Stellar. Um, you know, I think the the country has, well, first it's, you know, I think the, either the number one or number two uh, receiver of global remittances. So there's, you know, a huge market. We're talking billions and billions of dollars sent um, via cross-border payments, uh, you know, every year back home to to people in India. So for us as a use case that we think Stellar is um, well-suited to provide value to, um, you know, India is obviously a huge market there. Um, but there's also been a lot of um, national programs that make us really optimistic about the potential of India to, to adopt this technology. So when we look at things like Adhar, um, when we look at things like Dandan scheme, where a bank account was built for every citizen, um, or, you know, is supposed to be made available to every citizen, these are kind of core um, pieces of national infrastructure that um, a system like Stellar can really leverage um, in order to make sure we're able to reach any um, consumer. Um, so, you know, ICICI Bank is uh, an institution that we've had, um, you know, long-standing conversations with. We've um, deployed a number of use cases with them. Um, to my knowledge, they're not hosting a validator on the Stellar Network right now. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, I would say earlier in 2018, 
um, the RBI uh, began to have a pretty conservative um, viewpoint on blockchain and um, in particular cryptocurrency. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's kind of along the lines of, oh, we like blockchain, but, you know, we don't like cryptocurrency. Um, I personally think that that can be kind of a naive statement um, because uh, if you don't like cryptocurrency, you're kind of really only looking at permissioned ledgers, which is just kind of a glorified shared database. And so um, I think you need to be a little bit more granular in articulating um, what risks um, you're not willing to um, kind of take on, um, you know, but so essentially, I think in general, um, a lot of the banks in India kind of rolled back some of their um, activities and investments they were making on working with this um, technology. So we continue to work with ICICI Bank and there's, um, you know, many other institutions, um, financial institutions in India that I know are actively um, exploring um, Stellar as a piece of infrastructure, but I expect that it will probably not be until early 2019, mid-2019, when we start to see a real ramp up again in India um, around this technology. I think regulators felt like they needed to kind of time out (laughs) and do some more due diligence and learning um, before really um, coming out with their, uh, you know, policy framework to start incubating this technology. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly huge potential, potential. Um, and, you know, on a personal note, I lived and worked in India for three years. Um, I was working at the Center for Microfinance, um, which is part of the Institute for Financial Management and Research, IFMR. That's um, a lot of big words. Um, and my role there was um, doing uh, on-the-ground uh, management for research studies looking at the impact of different financial inclusion um, projects. So extending bank accounts, um, providing access to microloans, um, providing access to microinsurance for farmers. Um, when we do these things, um, do we really see a, um, a change in behavior or a change in outcomes? Um, and so, you know, on a personal level, I'm uh, pretty committed to um, making sure that uh, at the least there is a um, correct understanding and a a depth of knowledge in India about how Stellar can be deployed. Um, I really believe that the open source nature of our solution um, would fit well in those markets. Um, You know, uh, local institutions or businesses can kind of take the Stellar software and deploy it per their design. Um, And, you know, I think it can provide a ton of value. So I continue to take us to the Indian market and, um, you know, use my network there as well. Um, but with any of this technology, you know, it's not something that happens overnight. Um, and so you kind of have to um, push, but also be willing to be patient and allow people to um, come when they're ready, which is important. On that note, Lisa, uh, just um, a few questions uh, for the last minutes uh, of our podcast. Uh, You already mentioned that you've um, lived and worked in India. Are there other uh, places outside the the U.S. where you currently reside that you love or that you've lived and are in your heart? Sure. Um, 
I think the other one is I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Mauritania, West Africa, um, which um, for those that don't know, you know, just below Morocco and north of Senegal on the West Coast um, in the Sahara Desert. So that's actually where I got my starts in financial inclusion. I lived in a village there and helped to facilitate the establishment of a 30-member savings and lending association, um, which was a, a really impactful experience. Um, you know, especially as someone who had done a lot of reading and studying around um, international development, it was really amazing to see um, the value that uh, a system could provide um, without necessarily the need for outside aid or funding. And of course, there's always a time and place for that, but um, simply by providing a group of 30 entrepreneurs, um, a system, literally a book uh, that helps them to kind of take their capital um, and save it and then lend it to each other. Um, in kind of an organized and systematic way uh, was was great. And, you know, in general, I, you know, of course, lived there for two years and um, it's a place that's always in my heart. And again, uh, a major um, personal goal of mine is to, to make sure something like Stellar um, extends to Mauritania um, and other countries in that region, because I think there's a ton of potential. So Lisa, when you're, when you were at Chennai, have you tried uh, the filter coffee in the stainless steel <laughs> glass that they give you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've got a pretty wicked pour down too. So I, <laughs> only do I love it, but I know how it's served. So yeah, absolutely. And I, I love South Indian food a lot. Um, I always uh, dive right in when I go back and visit. And can you share with us the last uh, item of uh, a book that you're reading, a movie that you're watching that's kind of your favorite? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll stick on the book side. I'm reading a couple different things. Um, let's see here. I recently started uh, Fathers of Finance, um, and it's about the uh, four central bankers um, between World War One and World War II. Um, so from the UK, from the US, from Germany, and from France, and just talks about kind of the establishment of central banking and is both uh, biographies on the individuals, but also kind of, you know, historical account of the times and just really interesting as somebody who has kind of dove into the deep end of uh, monetary policy and, and economics. It's super interesting for me to understand the history of how things got to where they are today. Um, and just historic reading and central banking policy to anybody who likes to <laughs> kind of nerd out on finance. Um, I've also been reading um, some white papers from a professor out of Harvard, whose name is escaping me, um, kind of community organization and enabling activism. Um, that's very much where my head is right now with Stellar, um, is how do we scale this global community and make it something that lives and breathes without the need for the foundation to always be present. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we'll be successful when we've really achieved that. Um, so, so that's been interesting. And then um, actually one movie that I would really recommend to the audience is a documentary that I watched recently. I keep raving about it. It is called Small Enough to Jail. Um, and it is about uh, the only U.S.-based bank um, that received, uh, was, you've seen it? Uh, it's the only, it's, I think it's the 242nd largest bank in the U.S. It was the only one for which criminal charges were sought after the 2008 crisis. 
It was a small family-owned bank in Chinatown in New York. Um, and it's the story of that family bank and how they responded. Um, you know, in short, there were four daughters. Three of them were lawyers. Um, and they decided they weren't going to be pushed around. Um, but it's just a super interesting perspective on the financial crisis and banking um, and, you know, also America. Um, so... Anyways, I, I highly recommend it. Very interesting and timely, you know, since it's been 10 years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. crisis and one of the items that I was thinking about and wrote the other day on fintech is this, you know, the concept of too big to, to fail and whether really something has changed. And although it seems that on Wall Street, you know, the big, uh, that the JP Morgans, the Goldman Sachs and, and so on uh, have a shrunk uh, Definitely. But what's happened really is we've created these other monsters on, on the cell, um, on the buy side, uh, like BlackRock, like Vanguard, like Fidelity that have accumulated huge amounts. And now the question is, are those too big to fail? We could be talking about, as you said, history and what's really happening and how to look at it uh, very long. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. But I think the key point there is just, you know, financial infrastructure um, and markets are super critical. They're the heartbeat of global economies now. And so there's something we really have to think about. Um, you know, are they operating the way we want? How resilient are they? Um, you know, who are the players? Uh, it's not cute stuff anymore. It's, it's so important. Thank you so much for that. Really thankful for your time. And certainly if there's any um, follow-up questions or things that um, I can clarify for you or for your audience, just let me know and I'm happy to do so. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks very much for your time. 